Kevin and I are very alike. If I tried to count the number of things I've forgotten when I'm in charge, it would take a long time. We do bring greetings to each one tonight in the precious name of Jesus, the only name that is worthy and the one we want to honor tonight. Thank you again for those songs. I I just again found uh, so much inspiration in them. Thank you for the devotional. Both of them fed into what I believe God has laid on my heart this evening. The songs speak of the blessedness that is ours when we're in the will of God. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Is he enough for you tonight? Is he enough for me tonight? Am I living like it? And then Holy Spirit, and I love the phrase in that song, heavenly dove, and then it ends with, uh, and I don't know if I can get all the words, but spirit of love, spirit of love. What a need in our own lives for that, and, and uh, I just want to tonight just give you a brief explanation on something because it just thrills my heart. Um, you've been aware that there's been some sickness back home and, and some struggles and questions and I'll just explain to you briefly what happened. My wife actually texted me yesterday morning and said she just feels like I need to come home for a day or two. She, she feels like she's at the end. She told me last night, she said sometime yesterday afternoon, something changed. You know, we talked about prayer last night. And there is power in prayer that I could preach another five evenings on it and, and we still wouldn't get close to explaining really what prayer is. And she, You know, if you could have talked to her yesterday morning and yesterday evening and, and seen the difference or heard the difference. So thank you for praying. It's It's been an incredible week. It, it feels like Everything that could possibly happen to be a distraction this week did, and yet God is still greater. We're in the midst of a, a spiritual battle. The New Testament tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. In fact, tonight that kind of plays into the message. It's not a verse I have in my notes, but so often we think we're wrestling against flesh and blood. We are wrestling against principalities, against spiritual powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. And tonight I just urge you and I encourage you, keep praying. Keep praying. We will never, I believe it was Brother Terrell last night that in the closing he said, you know, he hasn't ever heard somebody say, I, I just have, I'm just praying too much. It's becoming a problem in my life. He's never heard it and we'll never hear it. Because prayer and fellowship with God feeds on wanting more fellowship with God. And I urge and encourage you, if that's not your experience tonight, there are so many people that are satisfied with the very surface level of Christianity. And I'm afraid they get frustrated, they get disillusioned, they get fearful, and they lose sight of what it's really all about. And Brother Kevin shared with us from... Second Kings there, and it talks about Josiah. And friends, tonight, revival will always have two elements. It will always be getting rid of things 
and adopting new things. Or maybe just building on things like prayer and fasting or whatever you want to put in there, building on those things that are already there and letting them grow, but it also means getting rid of things. Tonight I'd like to think again about the theme of the week from Matthew chapter 16, verse 19, where Jesus told Peter, I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom. And tonight I'd like to think about the fact that keys denote freedom. Keys denote freedom. When you're given a key, you're given freedom. You can turn, put that key in the lock and turn it, open the door, and you're given freedom to go inside and, and do the things that you want to do in there. They denote freedom. And friends, tonight, if I can just somehow convey that to us, that we cannot fully comprehend the freedom that God wants for us, the freedom that God wants for us. He wants us to be a people that are free, and that involves so many different things. Number one, it involves salvation. We can never experience the freedom that God wants with us for us if we don't experience salvation. And right on the heels of that, he wants us, he wants us to have assurance of salvation. You know, I, I'm familiar with groups that talk about this thing. Well, that's pride. For you to say you know you're saved, that's pride. And I understand it can be. If I'm going around flaunting it and acting like somehow I'm some better person because I have salvation, then yes, it's pride. But I have said it like this, and I believe it with all my heart. I believe if we told our children, you cannot know that you're our children, they would struggle with insecurity. They, they would be confused. They'd go through life in a way that, that would be awful. And I believe God wants the same thing for his children. He wants them to go through life knowing that they're his children. It's not because of anything we have done. Instead, it's because of what he has done. And he wants us to go through life knowing we're his children. It's security. It's stability. It's what will carry us through when things get rough. And we wonder what's going on. Things are crumbling around us. But if tonight our names are still written in the book of life and we're one of God's children, it's, it's, it has nothing to do with pride or it shouldn't have anything to do with pride. Rather, it should have the opposite effect. It should humble us that the God of the whole earth, the creator of the whole earth, tells us that we're his children. The New Testament says that of these things have I written unto you that ye might know that ye are saved. I believe God wants us to know that salvation beyond a shadow of a doubt and anything else must be secondary. We must value that salvation, that relationship with God above all else. And tonight I'd like to, and I know I'm kind of getting off track here and I'm not sure why it's all coming to me this way but friends tonight we must know that salvation if we're going to have the stability and the security that God wants for his people you look at people that are confused people that are disillusioned people that are doing things that make you wonder why did they do that why don't they value their faith more did they really know the salvation that comes from heaven above and the assurance that we're one of God's children. Think about it tonight. I can't think of anything more miraculous tonight that we as finite human beings can be children of an infinite God. And beyond that, we're not only assured that in this life, but way beyond that, we're assured something to come when Jesus Christ returns to gather those that have trusted him and believed in him and served him and followed his word and obeyed his will. We can be with him for all of eternity.
eternity. Now you talk about security, stability, rest, peace, joy. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. And I believe it was maybe the first night we sung the song, Take the World, but Give Me Jesus. I'd like to turn, we'd like to, to consider a message tonight, and again, it has to do with putting off, and I, don't, I hope I'm preaching to the choir tonight. I hope this is simply a message of encouragement tonight. I hope it's one that you have, you have come up against things in your life that involve this topic, but you've recognized what the Bible says, and you, want, you crave that freedom above all else, and you understand that this is one of those key topics where many people have fallen into traps. They've fallen into bondage, and, and we'll talk about that a little later, but they've fallen into slavery in a free country because of this topic. Let's turn to John chapter 20, verse 27. I'm just going to quickly read a verse there. We're going to read a verse from Revelation chapter 5. It's actually a verse we read last night. But John chapter 20, verse 27 says, Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And then there's the verse in Revelation chapter 5, verse 6, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain. And friends, I have a question for us tonight. I wonder, will Jesus Christ have scars in heaven? I don't know that for sure, but I would say the Bible kind of indicates perhaps he will, and I wonder what it's going to be like. I'm afraid there's people that are planning to come to him with their sob stories. Or I don't know how they're planning for this to all to work out, but that's their focus in life. And I wonder how would I ever go about explaining to him that, that things were just too rough. I, I just couldn't do it. People were too mean. Things were too rough. I couldn't do it. I wonder how I'd go about explaining that to one that has hands that were torn, torn apart for you and I. He has feet that are scarred. He told Thomas to reach into his side. You know, there was a spear that went in there, and out of it came blood and water for your and my sins. Until you and I come to grips with the fact that we helped put Jesus Christ on that cross. Because we were in need of a Savior. God could have sent us all kinds of things. He could have sent us an educator. He could have sent us a reformer. But he sent us a Savior so we can be transformed. I'd like to take us back tonight to a very unfortunate incident. And I understand probably some of you are, are familiar with this. But it was in a church in Pennsylvania involving firecrackers where, where people... Some youth decided one night, and I think it's, it's, it was a very unfortunate thing to do. I trust they've repented. I trust they've apologized. But they, they decided to open the back door of a church and throw some firecrackers in there. And I know some people that were at that service. And all at once, there was what they thought were gunshots going off. There was people hitting the floor, people diving between benches. I don't know what all the scene was, but here's something that is riveted in my mind. You know what was happening that evening. There were people confessing to each other. Because they thought perhaps it's all over. And I wonder sometimes how many of us are planning to have that kind of opportunity. And God has never promised it. You know what he promises? He promises grace and strength to help me obey today. 
And they were confessing things to each other, saying, I'm sorry. Maybe attitudes that were harbored. And Let's turn to Philippians chapter 1, verse 3 to 14. The Apostle Paul leaves us such a good example of this topic this evening. Philippians chapter 1. I'm sorry, I think I said Philippians 3. Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. And friends, I want us to pay careful attention to verses 12, 13, and 14 because I wonder what our attitude would be if we could trade places with where the Apostle Paul was when he wrote this. He said, But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which have happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places, and many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Tonight I'd like to think about a message I've entitled, A Life Free from Bitterness. A Life Free from Bitterness. And I believe the Apostle Paul had a view of life as a child of God that's still a safe pattern to follow. He didn't just come out neutral. He didn't say, well, you know what, it's okay. I guess this is what God had for me. And I wonder sometimes how many of us, you know, there's those of us that say, this is not fair, this is not right, I was treated in a way that's wrong, and I'm going to make people pay for it. Perhaps there's others of us that come out neutral, well, I guess it's okay. If that's what God has for me, I guess that's okay. But the Apostle Paul said, I want you to know that these things that have happened for me have helped strengthen the faith of other believers. And I wonder tonight if we're still people that believe in that principle. The Apostle Paul, and you know what? I don't think for one minute this was something easy or he decided as an early Christian, well, you know, I'm just never going to struggle with this. I'm just going to make sure that I always am joyful and always have a good attitude no matter what happens. I don't think so. He said in another place, he said, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. I think the Apostle Paul struggled and battled with things like you and I do too. But he kept it under subjection and he kept a love for the Lord Jesus alive in his heart and it made a difference in how he lived. And his viewpoint of those that mistreated him. You know, we as Americans, and we'll probably get into this in some other messages, but I'm afraid sometimes we're spoiled. We're just plain spoiled. Somebody does something to us and we think, you know what, that, was not, that is not fair. That was not right. I have not found in this book where we have rights. I haven't found it. <clears throat> Let's turn back to the Old Testament out of Deuteronomy chapter 29, verses 16 to 20. 
as we begin thinking about bitterness. And friends, tonight, again, I hope this is just a message of encouragement. I trust this is a message that will encourage you as you encounter things in life as we all do. That you will be encouraged to take God's way. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 16, For ye know how we have dwelt in the land of Egypt, and how we came through the nations which ye passed by, and ye have seen their abominations and their idols, wood and stone, silver and gold, which were among them, lest there should be among you man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turneth away this day from the Lord our God, to go and serve the gods of these nations, lest there should be among you a root that beareth gall and wormwood, and it come to pass when he heareth the words of this curse, and this, this is a problem, this, this is something that has gotten so many people in trouble, that he bless himself in his heart saying, I shall have peace, though I walk in the imagination of mine heart. How many people have gotten in trouble because they've said, I shall have peace, though I walk in the imagination of mine heart. I want to have my way, I want to do things my way, but I'm still going to have peace. To add drunkenness to thirst, the Lord will not spare him, but then the anger of the Lord and his jealousy shall smoke against that man, and all the curses that are written in this book shall lie upon him, and the Lord shall blot out his name from under heaven. And this is in direct relation to God entering into a covenant with the nation, covenant with the nation of Israel, and he makes it very clear that the root which bears bitterness, that is bitter fruit, must be put away, and nothing has changed today. God wants to make a covenant. God wants to be in a covenant relationship with you and I, and the bitter root must be put away. Again, I ask the question tonight, is Jesus Christ enough? You know what we're really saying when we take offenses and we run with them and we harbor bitterness and unforgiveness in our hearts? We're really saying Jesus is not enough. I'm going to have to work on this one a little bit myself. I'm going to have to take care of it. Maybe once he's paid the price that he deserves to pay because of how he treated me. Is Jesus Christ enough? Hebrews chapter 12, verses 12 to 15. And again, you're not obligated at all to turn to all these. We're going to be turning to different passages. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12 to 15. Very familiar passage. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down in the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Let's think a little bit tonight, what is bitterness? It's the Greek word pakria which means acridity, especially poison, literally or figuratively. Now, how many of us, and I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands, but I'm sure we all know what it tastes like to have acid come up in our throat. It's a wonderful experience, isn't it? No, it's probably among the worst tastes imaginable. But I'd like to ask this question tonight. Why does bitterness sometimes taste good? And I'm not talking about acid in your throat. I'm talking about harboring feelings. Why does it sometimes taste good? 
And you know what? The Bible says here, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. And you, talk, you think about a root of bitterness, and then you think about that original meaning in the Greek there where it says especially poison. And you know what? Roots, they're so vital, they're so critical to a plant's growth. And if you can somehow introduce poison to that root, you can imagine what happens. It's going to affect the whole life. It's going to affect the whole life. And you know what? According to the Bible, according to the Word of God, it's not only going to affect the life where that bitterness gets into, but it's going to affect others. And you and I, if we're honest, have seen it over and over and over. Where it not only affects you, it not only affects the people that decide to harbor those roots of bitterness, but it affects others. You know why? Because somehow we enjoy talking about the way we've been treated. In our flesh, somehow, we enjoy that. Why is it? Have we cultivated that kind of spirit and mindset, or have we cultivated a mindset of talking about how good God is? And I know I'm kind of getting ahead of myself again, but my mind goes back to an old saint that we just buried not too long. Well, it's been years now. I'm not sure how many years. But this old saint, you know what? Somebody had a topic on discouragement one time, and I think this is the only person I've heard of this. He said, I can't really relate. I think he was being honest. I knew him. I only knew him for the last, I'm not sure how many years of his life, but he was always talking about how good God is. And at the end of his life, he almost had no breath left. He was, he was drawing near. He was drawing close to the end of his life. And with every breath within him, even when he had to wheeze it out, he was still saying, God is so good. You think it started about two weeks before that deathbed? Uh-uh. It didn't start two years before that deathbed. It didn't start ten years before that deathbed. It started years and years and years and years earlier. And the main cause of bitterness we find in God's word is when there are roots that go down and are not taken care of, and in the future they spring up and the results are terrible. I just like to think tonight about the roots that are in our heart. God should have every part of our heart. And again, this is something very personal between you and God. Only God can really see your heart. And I wonder, does he have every part of it? Or have we reserved some things for ourselves? And you know what? We, we could turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, but time is moving on. I don't think we're going to. But I just want to encourage us tonight that there's a very positive, and I understand this negative, this, this message is largely negative. We're talking about getting rid of this bitterness. But friends, tonight there's something so positive. When we get rid of those feelings of bitterness, those feelings of unforgiveness, and we choose to take God's way, I believe it's a springboard for God to work in our life. And I believe that's why the battle is so intense, so real sometimes, because the enemy of our soul knows if he can keep us trapped in that mindset, he's going to take us down, 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 down. And God wants us to take a different way. Let's think a little bit tonight about patterns of our mind, negative versus positive. And I understand tonight that there's different natures. I'm sure we've all heard of optimists and pessimists. And we look at a situation and and we immediately see the bad in it or we immediately see the good in it. Patterns of the mind, negative versus positive. And I wonder, can we allow God to search our hearts in relation to our patterns of thinking? And I think it's probably more human nature to see the negative than the positive. If we hit our 
finger with a hammer, it's probably a lot easier to think about the pain than the Band-Aid that was available for us right away. And I wonder what focus does God want Christians to have? It's so interesting to see what Scripture has to say in the words that are used. And we're just going to read some verses here. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning others. No, concerning you, concerning me. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 4, 6. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Back in the Old Testament, Psalm 34, verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. In Hebrews 13, 15, by him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And you know what, tonight? I'm convinced that, that human nature, too, is that we like loopholes. You ever notice that? And somehow we think that we have the loopholes. You know, if you just understood my situation or if you just understood what happened here, and I wonder tonight if, if there was somehow a line formed of exceptions. Would we be pretty quick to get in the line to have our case heard? And I wonder if that's why there's all these verses that destroy loopholes. These verses all had things in it about all the time and continually. And please don't get me wrong tonight. I fail at times. I wish I could tell you that, that I make it. Tonight I'd like to sell you on this idea though. Or I'd like to encourage you in this idea. The Bible asks for us to have a mindset of praise. A mindset of thankfulness. And then when we slip and fail, we think, you know, something doesn't seem right. Oh, yeah, I took a wrong viewpoint here. And we get back, we ask God to help us. Are we, are we what, you know, and we look at these wrong patterns. We look, well, that's just the way I am. You don't understand. That's just the way I am. That's the way my parents were, too. That's the way their parents were, too. Th things were just negative. Th they were just negative. I wonder how we look at those wrong patterns and mindsets. Sometimes we get in trouble because we just look at them as kind of unfortunate. But isn't it at times time to repent of constantly viewing and focusing on the negative and spending so little time on the positive? I read a quote years ago that I thought was so good. It said, my brother, if you cannot rest in poverty, neither could you rest in riches. You know what? This is again talking about loopholes and exceptions. And, and we think, you know, if, if, if this would change, if this aspect of my life would change, then things would be better. And this quote, I think, nailed it dead on. It said, my brother, if you cannot rest in poverty, neither could you rest in riches. If you cannot rest in the midst of persecution, neither could you rest in the midst of honor. You ever noticed how it works? 
if it just weren't for so-and-so, which is maybe a person, maybe a circumstance, I'd be happy. But then it seems like when that's gotten rid of, then there's another so-and-so to take its place, and happiness eludes us again. You know what? I believe it has so much to do with a mindset. So much to do with a mindset. And I'd like to turn back to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13. Not that I speak in respect of want. We talked about contentment last night. And the Apostle Paul, I think again, he reveals some of the secrets he had in his life. He said, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. And I have a question for us from verse 12. Who instructed the Apostle Paul? And do you think that instructor is still available for us today? Absolutely he is. I'm reminded tonight of this, and you, you've maybe heard this, this idea or this, uh, sorry, this story. I'm sure it's not a true story, but it's something that, that I read or was told years ago about the difference between death and life. And these people came into these rooms, and, and they had wooden splints on their arms, and their arms were stretched straight out. And, and they brought this group of people in, and they were hungry, and these, there was tables in there, and they were just laden with food. Everything looked so delicious. Everything looked wonderful. And these people were so frustrated. They were walking around frustrated because they, they could pick up the food, no problem. But they couldn't get it to their mouth. And then there was another room, and the scene was exactly the same. There were people in there with wooden splints, and there were tables in there just laden with food, but the difference was exactly the the, the attitude was exactly the opposite, exactly different. These people had found the same frustration and the same problem. They couldn't feed themselves, but they could feed each other. And I wonder... What's the wooden splints in my life? I heard the story two years ago of a man that survived. Maybe you've heard this story, but he survived one of the biggest jumbo jet crashes. And if I remember right, this jumbo jet took off and and it hadn't taken off very long and, and collided head on with another jet or something. And he said, you know, you think you'd have people in there crying out to God and asking for mercy and asking for forgiveness. He said there was people in that plane cursing God. You know why? Because I have a feeling when we get to the end, we're going to die a whole lot like we lived. That's why the testimony of that old man from church is so powerful. He died not in something new or fresh he died like he lived facing the temptation to become bitter there are times when the message comes across just forgive and move on which is true but how does it play out in our lives how does it play out in our lives how do we 
handle these things when people say, well, just, just forgive and move on. What if it hurts? And the first thing I'd like to consider is that we must recognize we're poor judges when it comes to things that happen that seem to be against us or directed at us. Have you ever noticed that where, where you hear something about, maybe somebody said something about you or did something that, that you think, you know what, he, he meant that, he, he meant that person, he meant that, he, he had, had that aim right at me. And you go talk to him and you find out he hadn't even thought about it. I think tonight we're poor judges and there's times we take those things and we base them on how we feel about it and we run with them. And we're poor judges. And again, I believe having healthy mind patterns, being willing to share with those who offended us will often show us things were different than we first thought. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, it says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. How often do we come short? How often do we come short? But tonight I'd like to just, just think briefly with you on what if it was something against us? What if it was something that somebody did directly against us? You know, there's the example of Daniel in Daniel chapter 1, and we could turn back there because I believe Daniel's life speaks so loudly. Last night a brother shared about Daniel in the prayer room, and I believe it speaks so loudly to us because Daniel was put into a very unfortunate situation, and he was not only suffering in his life, but, but he was suffering for the sins and the things that other people were doing, even though he was faithful. And he couldn't exactly just go to Nebuchadnezzar and say, you know what, I think there's been a misunderstanding here. I, I don't think you mean to do what you're doing. Or could you please explain to me why you're doing what you're doing? I don't think it would have worked out well at all. But he's still faithful. And friends, tonight, I'd like to encourage us. I'd like to commend us to something that God has put in place when there are things that come against us. And friends, tonight, I refer us back to that, that text passage in Hebrews that we read at the beginning where it talks about lest any man fail of the grace of God. What does it mean to fail of the grace of God? I believe when we take those situations and we develop the mindset that Jesus is not enough, we are failing of the grace of God. You see, God gave us Jesus Christ, and his grace was sufficient. And I'd like to just again read some verses, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. And we should spend a lot of time on that verse. But let me just quickly point out, it's one of the most exciting verses in the New Testament, because when we come to it, we say, there will never be a situation that if I want God's way of faithfulness, that he will not provide it for me. If I really want God's way of faithfulness, he will provide it for me. You can mark that down as sure as this word is true. You can mark it down. If we want God's way, it'll be there for us. If we want his grace, it'll be there for us. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 14, and the grace of our Lord Jesus was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. 
How sufficient, how abundant is the grace of God tonight. The grace carries the idea of a gift, a favor, a benefit. It can't be earned. It can't be bought. It's freely given to those who truly want it. I think that verse in Hebrews ought to be riveted in our minds, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Lest any man fail of the grace of God. There's the example of Immaculate Illabagiza. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. If you've never read her story, I'd encourage you to do so. Now, it comes from a strongly Catholic background, so I'm going to qualify it a little. I don't agree with everything in the book, but friends, tonight she was treated in a way that you and I cannot imagine. She was involved, she was in the Rwanda genocide where there were two groups of people, two ethnic groups, and the one was determined to wipe the other off the face of the earth. They were determined they're going to kill them all. There was propaganda, there were radio stations and signs and people saying kill them all, old and young and babies, all of them. She spent, I believe it was 90 days in a little bathroom, in a four by six bathroom with I believe at first five other women, and I'm not sure if I have all these details correct, and later two more were added. And if you can imagine 90 days in a four-by-six bathroom, and daily, almost daily, killers would come to that house, and they were determined to find, is this woman here? They knew she was somewhere in the area. They were determined to find her and kill her, but God kept her safe. She, she prayed, and she prayed, and she prayed, and she prayed, and she spent 90 days in that bathroom. But this is what I want to take us to. Years later, after everything had changed, the UN had come in, and, and things had turned around, and she had the opportunity to go back, and there were now prisons set up, and, and the, the very people that killed, she was, there was only one other member of her family that was not killed. All the rest were killed in cold blood, brutally murdered. And, and this man took her, she, she came to the prison that was now set up, and those of her tribe were there. And, and she came up there, and the man said, do you want to see the man that was responsible to kill your family? She said, yes. And he brings in this, Stooped man who was determined to be the winner when the war was going on but now ended up a terrible, terrible loser. And immaculately touched his arm with this guard hurling accusations, bitterness spewing out, she touched his arm and said, I forgive you. It didn't come easy. But there's something in that book that is riveted in my mind. There was a night she was battling with forgiveness. She was battling with forgiveness. And she said it was like there was a wall between God and I. Until she had released things again. The wall went away. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. Friends, we don't want to get to the judgment. He intended that grace to make people free, not to keep people in bondage. And the Apostle Paul said that grace that was bestowed upon him was not in vain. And I trust that it will not be in vain for us either.
Remember the games of freeze tag? You've probably played freeze tag. I think there's some skating here. Or maybe it was done on land too. But where you had to focus on trying to get more people or guard the ones you already have. And, and it seemed like just when you decided to go here, then this, it was just a tug of war back and forth. You, you had to decide where your focus was. And you know what? When we take prisoners in our life, then we have to guard them. And it's a terrible, terrible thing. Somebody has said that bitterness is taking a poison pill and fully expecting the other person to die. And you know what tonight? When, where we see bitter, God longs for better. And I cannot, I cannot stress that enough tonight. Where we see bitter, God longs for better. God doesn't long for neutral. God doesn't long to waste these situations where he brings us face to face with things that he wants us to deal with and he wants us to learn to get a hold of his grace and build and build and build in our relationship with him where we see bitter, God longs for better. And I'm, I'm just going to read some verses from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 to 7. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin, and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? And I understand tonight we might not be talking about punishments, we're talking about unfortunate situations, but, God, but it, the Bible makes it so clear here that God loves us as sons. He loves us as daughters, and he wants to take us to new places, to new levels, to new heights. He doesn't want these things to be wasted on us. And friends, tonight, you know, we, we've, we've heard of people of faith. We, we hear of Bible characters, Daniel and Abraham and Job, and, and the list could go on and on. And you know what? We like the end result, but how would we have liked the life? You think everything always made sense for them? Absolutely not. God longs for better. And our focus and what we love to talk about will say a lot about whether we're bitter. I don't know tonight. I can't see your heart. I don't know if there's bitterness there. I don't know if there's things there that God has wanted you to forgive and you've insisted on hanging on. I don't know that, but God does. But our focus and what we love to talk about We'll say a lot about whether we're bitter. How have we handled the things in life that seem unfair and confusing? Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 says, Wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, looking unto Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith. You know, these weights were, there's airplanes, you know, airplanes are designed to fly. And I don't know if there's any pilots here tonight, but they're designed to carry a certain amount of weight. And you overload that airplane and then try to make it fly and it won't work. And God didn't design for us to carry these weights. There's a reason people get disillusioned. There's a reason people turn and they do all kinds of things that are so unfortunate because they're carrying weights that God didn't design for them to carry. 
I remember so well years ago talking to a man, and this still makes me shudder because I think it so goes against what Jesus wants for us today. I remember a man, and he was talking about to me about the church situation or church setting he came from, and he said, yeah, I have my people back there that report to me. And you know the spirit I detected in that man? Like he's hoping things go bad for them. After the way he was treated, he's hoping things go bad for them. And he has his people there reporting to him what's going on. And you know the, one of the most unfortunate things about that is it goes right in the face of what Jesus told us. He told us to watch and pray, to be watching for his returning. And when we're watching about how other people are doing and hoping things don't go very well for them, they don't deserve it. We're going exactly opposite of what Jesus said. He said, and what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. And I can guarantee you tonight, it's a little like that game of freeze tag. If your focus is on the prisoners, your focus isn't on watching for the return of Jesus Christ. If your focus is on the prisoners, your focus is not on seeing other people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I'd like to close tonight. We're going to go through this very quickly. It's a little later than I wish it was. But there's two examples from the Bible, and maybe we're just going to refer to them tonight. They're found back in 2 Samuel. We'll probably refer to the first one and maybe read from the second one. But back in 2 Samuel chapter 13, verses 20 through chapter 18, verse 17, there's a very, very sad situation. The Bible talks about the fact that Absalom hated his brother, and it's, it's the sad story and end of bitterness. Absalom took offense at the atrocity that was committed, and lest I forget it tonight, I am not at all suggesting that we don't deal with the atrocities that are committed. That's another subject, and I believe we need to deal with them, but God still wants his people to learn to find his way through these situations. This was an atrocity. It wasn't right. But Absalom harbored bitterness in his heart. And you know what? He came to Ahithophel later on. Remember last night we talked about the fact that like attitudes find each other? I don't know tonight. I can't tell you for sure. But Ahithophel was the grandfather of Bathsheba. And I don't know, was he sitting around waiting for his opportunity? But he certainly found it in a man that also had a crow to crow to crow about or a bone to pick or whatever you want to say had a chip on his shoulder he found it in Absalom and they decided to rise up against David and it's such a sad story David flees out of the garden there and you find this terrible terrible scene later on Absalom gets his long hair that he was obviously very proud of and and it was he was a very good-looking man the Bible makes it very clear he won the hearts of the children of the people of Israel but he gets hung up in an oak tree and he's hanging there and even though David had instructed for it not to happen he's killed Ahithophel who had I don't know was he looking for his opportunity maybe he waited years here's my opportunity I'm gonna get back at David he's gonna learn and what happens all at once, Absalom turns against his advice and follows the advice of somebody else, and he couldn't handle it, and he goes and kills himself. And I'd like to close the message tonight from Genesis chapter 50. This is a tremendously positive example of the focus work of what God wants us to have. Genesis chapter 50, verse 14, And Joseph returned into Egypt, he and his brethren, and all that went up with him to bury his father after he had buried his father. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. 
And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? How many of us, if we're honest at times, we've kind of put ourselves in the place of God. I understand this situation, and I'm going to have to deal with it. Joseph comes through with flying colors. He said, don't you worry. And I'm sure Joseph understood it wasn't right. The jealousy, the hatred, the selling him to the Egyptians, it wasn't right. But he said, am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought of evil against me, but God mended unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now, therefore, fear ye not. I will nourish you and your little ones. And friends, he didn't come out neutral. He said, you know what? I guess I'm going to be willing to overlook this. You go fend for yourself. He didn't come out neutral. I will nourish you and your little ones. And, be, and he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. And Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house. And Joseph lived 110 years. And listen to this. Remember we started with that negative example in Hebrews where it says, lest a root of bitterness springing up defile you. Or it says, and many be defiled. The opposite is just as true. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. Consider Absalom, consider Ahithophel. Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were brought up. On Joseph's knees. You want a life of peace? You want a life of rest? You want a life of fullness? Look for God's way in all situations. Shall we bow our heads for prayer? Our Father in heaven, tonight we bow before you. We thank you for your abundant faithfulness, your kindness, your goodness. Lord, you have been so much better to us than we deserve. And how often do we turn around and we're not what we should be in response to you and in response to others. Lord, tonight, would you search our hearts and if there's any evil way within us or any way where we have come up against situations and we have taken our way instead of your way, perhaps there's people here tonight that do not have peace, would you speak to our hearts? We commit it all to you for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name.